This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Are, are you motivated? <laughs> Amen. Let's do it. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm ready. Um, you know, that's apropos, appropriate for today. Um, as I look at you all today, and I'm going to try to be more personal because you all made it through the bad weather. You made it to church today. And I believe God rewards faithfulness. Now, I'm not saying God's disappointed with those people who didn't come. This is just church. This is just one Sunday. But this is the quality that I believe is essential for God's people and God's kingdom. The word is called faithfulness. And faithfulness is something that's lacking in our culture today. As the motivational speaker was talking about commitment, as Jared talked about learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, there's a motif going today, and it's apropos because today's sermon is about that. It's about commitment. Today, we're going to talk about probably the most popular scripture in all the Bible. Anyone want to take a guess what it is? (laughs) Oh, how did you all know that? (laughs) It, growing up as a little kid, I remember looking at football games and basketball games or concerts, and people would have these signs. It always would say, John 3.16. And I was like, oh, they're, they're a Christian too. I was, wow, that's awesome. I don't know if you remember, there's a, there's a football player named Tim Tebow. Anybody remember Tim Tebow? A couple years ago, I love Tim Tebow, and a couple years ago, he was playing a football game against, uh, I think he's engaged, or maybe did he get married yet? He's engaged, so thank, 
Yeah, Tim, he's moving up, right? <laughs> um, nevertheless, um, a couple of years ago, he had a football game. Um, he's an all-Heisman um, Trophy college player, a national championship college quarterback, and made it to the pros, but wasn't really given the opportunity like probably some other quarterbacks were. Some people say it was because of his outspoken faith, that he was a guy, regardless, he wore his faith on his sleeve. And I remember there was a quarterback named Jake Plummer, who, who was the quarterback from the Arizona Cardinals, who actually spoke openly against Tim Tebow, saying, man, I wish he would, like, be quiet. Like, I wish he wouldn't talk, so, just, just play football, be quiet and play football. And obviously, Tim responded, like, how, I, I can't help but talk about Jesus Christ. And I remember when Tim Tebow was in college, he, he had this come-from-behind victory, and he had this, uh, the Bible verse, like, put on his eye little guards underneath his eyes, um, before the game, and people looked up that scripture. And, and, and this playoff game now, fast forward a couple years, he's in the pros. He's playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he got the starting nod for the Denver Broncos. And, and against the Steelers, he had the, the Bible scripture on his eye. And anybody remember this game? Nobody? Oh, you do? So, so that game, the, the, the scripture on his eye was what? It was John 3.16. And in that game, they, they won. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, you can Google this. this. This is a fact. What I'm about to say is a fact. So they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had John 3.16 on his, on his little his eye, eye protector or eye shadower. And, um, and he threw for, guess how many yards that game? And, and, and it was like the score was, I mean, there was so many 3.16s in the game that people said, what is happening? Not that many yards, but it was like time of possession. Like it, were, it was like eight or I'll say seven, three sixteens that end up showing up that end up being significant about that game. And people are like, man, God is speaking. God's saying something. So it had like the most people look up John 3.16 in the history like of the internet, right? And the scripture they saw is the scripture we all know. John 3.16. The church throughout the, the world, throughout history, uses that scripture by and large to help win people to Jesus. But the problem with that scripture is this. That scripture, by and large, is not for unbelievers. That scripture is actually for believers. See, the book of John is actually written during the time of John's life. If you ever go to the end of the the, the book of John, there's this conflict between Peter and, and John, between the role of the church, between Christ's identity. All these different heresies were coming up, challenging the doctor, doctrine of the church, challenging the, in a sense, Christology of Christ. So John wrote his gospel to refute all these false teachings and ideological conflicts that were, in a sense, coming against the church. But oftentimes as I grew up, I was told to give an unbeliever John 3.16. But if you read it as an unbeliever, you'll miss a lot of what is trying to be communicated by John. John is not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers. And the problem is if you don't stick to the Greek, the original language, you'll miss what's being communicated. Last week, in our pre-sermon service for leaders, we talked about the, the, the parable of the, the vine and the branches. And in that parable, it talks about how if, if the, the vine is in the dirt, how the, the vine dresser comes and lifts it up and cleans it off. There's a book about it called The Secrets of the Vine. 
And in that, and in that book, the point is that the vine dresser is not just going to chop off the branch if it's in the dirt. He actually picks it up, pins it, so it could produce fruit. But then the, the point of the book, though, is that when, when the vine dresser sees a, a branch that's producing fruit, he comes and he, he prunes it. And that, that's the, the, the point of the book. That if you are doing well in God, God comes along and prunes you. Because Jesus is the, the what? The vine. And we are the, the branches. Now, I'm not a, a farmer I'm, I'm not good with, pl- I kill all type of plants, every type of plant. I'm not good with it at all. But, but what was interesting, I, I began to understand this principle, that you don't prune something just because you're mad at it or, or you're angry with it. You prune it because you're trying to do what? Produce more fruit. And if you look at the, the, the vine in that analogy, it's, the, the goal is to produce much fruit. So if you happen to be somebody who's walked with God and, and things are good, well, God, as Jared said earlier, will make things uncomfortable. And because he's making things uncomfortable, it doesn't mean he's mad at you. It doesn't mean the devil's attacking you. It doesn't mean it's because of sin. It's because he's trying to make you more fruitful. And that process oftentimes is, is painful. It, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. But the end result is much fruit. And as a believer, we have to understand the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith. Such that those, there, there's no law that comes to condemn you when those fruits are being produced in your life. Those, are, those fruit are like children. My, my wife and I, as we know each other, and she gets impregnated, she produces a child. And Augustus is the fruit of our union. When you and God are intimate and you get close to each other and you know him, you produce fruit that in a sense exemplifies that union. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Now the the problem is if you keep on reading that, there's something that happens. The, the vine dresser keeps looking at the vine, and there are some branches that aren't producing any fruit, and they're not in the dirt. And what he says is that branch gets what? Cut. Cut off. And thrown into the fire, the Scripture says, because it's not useful. Today, I'm glad not a lot of people here, because this may be one of the most controversial sermons I ever preached. And God does that for me because sometimes I'm afraid to talk about certain things. I'm building up my courage in the Lord. I I pray today that I'll be bold to talk about this. Because this scripture, I believe, has been taken out of context a lot of times. And and sometimes I I have a sense about a scripture, but then sometimes I go and research it and it's confirmed. And that's how I feel like, man, God's speaking to me. So today we're going to come out of John 3, 16. I got a quote first, and I'm going to read it, and we'll jump into text. It says, Those who give much without sacrifice are reckoned as having given little. The point is, sacrifice is essential in your commitment. Remember, uh, John, I told you, I gave some context, is written in a sense 
for the believer because there was a disillusionment happening in the church at that particular time. The, the temple had not yet been destroyed. We don't see any evidence of that from John. And, and here, John is having a, a focus on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. So remember, first, second John, Jesus ultimately kind of gets in trouble because he cleanses the temple in second John. And people now, the Jewish leaders are like, what in the world is this? And in third John, a man named Nicodemus, Nike, Nike means victory, Demas means people, victory of the people. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he has this conversation with the Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, you're coming to me at night, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. You know how Jesus tells the truth. But Nicodemus is like, man, we know you're from God because no one can do the miracles you're doing unless they're from God. But the problem is they don't like what Jesus is saying. So because they don't like what Jesus is saying, Nicodemus is sent there at night because he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus openly. And you see throughout the Bible, Nicodemus finally one time eventually challenges the Pharisees regarding Jesus. And lastly, Nicodemus is one of the two people who come and get Jesus' body. So Nicodemus, who starts out in the dark, at the end, openly reveals his faith in Christ. But here, there's a great conversation about being born from above. It's, we say in today's vernacular, being born again. It's, it's what has to happen in order for you to be saved. See, being born again is the evidence that you're in God's kingdom. That means you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're indwelt with God. And, and once you're indwelt with God, the Bible says you are a new creation. Something has never existed. The problem is, like we talked about last week, now you're a child of God. You're something new. That was God's will from the very beginning. We went from what was slaves or servants to becoming children of God. And being God's children means we are radically different. We are not who we were originally. When we are born, we are born God's enemies. And we have to be saved in order to enter into God's kingdom. Now, the problem is, what are we being saved from? When we say somebody is saved, what are we saved from? And we're going to talk about that today a little bit when we jump into the text. So here in chapter 14, we see Jesus is still having this conversation with Nicodemus, and Jesus highlights a point. Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Here he's referencing Numbers chapter 21. And remember, at that time, as the, the Jewish nation were, in a sense, out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land, they come to a point where they start complaining against God. They don't think God's trustworthy. They're tired of what they call the manna. Imagine this. Who here has ever had bread falling from the sky? What? Anybody? Nobody, right? Now, who here would say, if I had bread falling from the sky, I'd be so thankful, right? I would say that too. They had so much bread falling. They were like, we are tired of this bread. Give us something. Give us some steak. They eventually got some like quail or something. They got tired of that, right? But, but it, it, the point is showing the human condition that ultimately, regardless, we won't be satisfied with God until he gives us a what? A new heart. His heart. So here, when they start complaining, they were instructed to, to, to fashion a brass serpent, put it on a pole, and stick it up in the air. 
And they do that. And, and, and the scripture says, whoever looks at the brass serpent, if that person happens to be bitten, they'll only be healed if they look at this brass serpent. This is in your Bible, Numbers 21. This is in the Old Testament. And you look at it, you're like, man, that is weird. And the Bible gives no answer for that in the entire Old Testament. It doesn't give you an answer. But in the New Testament, it gives you an answer right here. This is the reason why that event happened in the Old Testament, right here. Jesus has given us the answer to something that happened almost 700 years plus before. And here, he says this, And when, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he's saying, just like Moses had to lift up that brass serpent, Jesus, myself, I'm going to be lifted up. And whoever not looks at me but believes in me will have life. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This word perish, most people think, is a a mistranslation because the actual word means will no longer be useful. There's a utility we have with God. That's something, a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. If a salt loses saltiness, what, is, what happens to the salt? Thrown out. The, 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 in Revelation, it talks about the, the water. Either the water is too hot or, or, or too cold, but if it's lukewarm, what does he do? He spits it out. Hot water is good for you. Why? Because you could use it for drinking tea or coffee or bathing in. Cold water is good because you could definitely drink it, but lukewarm water is not good for anything, so you, you, you get rid of it. There's a usefulness we have in God. God uses here on this earth for his purpose, for his glory. That's why we have to yield to him. That's why we're his vessels, to be used by him so that people know him. And when we don't do what's normal, we act like Jesus, we stand out. But if we act like the world, we don't stand out. We look like everybody else. We blend in. So to be separate, to be sanctified, means that we have surrendered to God, and our willingness to surrender to God gives us attention. And it's our job not to take the attention, but to point back to God. Here, Jesus is going to be, in a sense, punished, sacrificed, so that we could have life. Here, Jesus is telling the listener that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this word perish means you're not useful. Now we go into the most popular scripture in all the Bible. He goes into an explanation indicated by the literary connective four right here. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That's how much God loved us. Now, there's a theological war happening about that because people always question, well, did God love everybody or did God love those people who, who just believed in him? Because people say, well, you know, the Bible says Esau, he, he, he did what he hated, but Jacob, he loved. So, so people have a, they wrestle with this. Does God love everybody or does only God love some people? And I say that is a mute unimportant point, because the most important point is this, that if you believe in him, then you're okay. 
Because if you believe in him, you should not once again perish, but have everlasting life. It's, it's almost the exact same verse as this up here. As the people in the wilderness looked to the, the brass serpent and lived, we ourselves will look to Jesus and also live. That's what the scripture is trying to convey. Now, this is the problem with this scripture, the verb tense here. Now, it says that whoever believes in him. This word believe in the Greek is in the present active indicative tense or the continuous active indicative tense. Now, there are some scriptures in the Bible where the translator actually writes in there continuously. If we go back to Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in contrast to the works of the flesh. And it talks about those people who do the works of the flesh. They say, by no way, by no means shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody, even pastors, know to put on there the caveat, it's saying those who practice immorality, those who practice adultery. There's a, there's a long list of sins there that the Bible says explicitly, these people shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. But the Corinthians, Paul kind of does a similar thing. He said, but some of you were this way, but now put the deeds, the works of the flesh. So what we say is, if someone is practicing these sinful behaviors, according to the Bible, they don't enter God's kingdom. Now, if you're having a struggle with the sin, you come to me and try to say, well, does that mean I'm not going to heaven? As a pastor, how do I respond? Now, if you're in Calvin or a Calvinist, most people say this, well, if this person is sinning perpetually, then they were never sinned and the, they were never saved in the first place. That's how they get out of it, right? Because Calvinist says what? Once saved, you're always saved. And so people, they take this scripture, they say, this is the evangelical verse to use because that's saying all you have to do is believe in God and you're saved and it's all good. But if this verse is trying to indicate that this word believe is a continuous active action, what's being communicated here is not that once you believe one time you're saved, it's trying to say that once you start believing, you have to keep on believing. And then you are saved. That's why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not just talking about sanctification, but if you're a Calvinist, you always jump to this, oh, I don't have to worry about my, my faith because I already believed in Jesus and the game's over. But then the scripture says, he who endures to the end will be what? Why do you have to endure to the end? So this scripture is paramount for us all today. That I have boldness today to communicate to you this scripture. Because there's a lot of people, I believe, who say, well, I believed in Jesus when I was in the third grade, the first grade, the seventh grade. And I don't have to do anything after then. I'm just going to live my life and do what I want. And I'm going to end up in heaven. But what the scripture is communicating is something completely different. Does anyone know what John chapter 6, verse 6, 6 says? And many of the disciples turned back and stopped following Jesus. Isn't that ironic that John chapter 6, 6, 6 is highlighting the disciples' decision not to follow him anymore? And does anyone know what the mark of the, the beast is in the book of Revelations? 6, 6, 6. 
I don't think this is a coincidence. Now, this isn't anything to be, quote, quote, afraid of. Because a lot of people say at this point, well, if I have to have faith in order, I'm not going to be saying, like, look, you are here by God's grace. And by God's grace, you will remain faithful to him. But you, as a free will creature, have this obligation to surrender your will. That's why we go back to my original caveat, John chapter 15, the secret of the vine. It says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you have to remain attached to the vine. You have to remain attached to Jesus. And that's why here at Endurance Church, we are a discipleship-making church. That's why we're trying to get you to do one thing. What's the vision of this church? To get you to fall in love with Jesus. To get you to open your Bible and hear from God. To get you, once you hear from God, whether it's comfortable or not, that you'll be able to respond to him. Because in the end, are you following Jesus is the main point of your life. Are you following him? You can't follow Jesus, and Jesus tells you to do something, you're doing the opposite. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, and you don't do what I say? So this is a crux to me, one of the foundational truths you have to wrestle with. Whether you believe that or not, you need to go and open your Bible and figure this out for yourself. Because if it's once saved, always saved, then you have to, every time you come to the Scripture regarding, you know, then, then you, you, they fell away. They, they, they felt, you got, you got to find a way of figuring out how that fits in with the rest of the Scripture. Remember, Jesus didn't say once saved, always saved. The Bible doesn't say that. Calvin says that. And people's faith jumped to Calvin, a theologian, over what the Scriptures say. Next Scripture. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in contrast to that, he sent the, he, me, but in contrast to that, that the world through him might be saved. So the point of Jesus coming isn't to bring condemnation. You know, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus came to save you. But the problem is, what did Jesus come to save you from? He who believes, amen, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is what? Condemned already. This is the point of points. We are all, when we are born, and of the age of accountability, I'll throw that caveat in there, condemned. All of us, every human being. That's why we have to preach the gospel to the rest of the world. Because biblically, every human being outside of Christ who has rejected Christ has been condemned already. They're being saved from God's judgment. We are being saved from God's punishment. God's punishment is coming to the world. And the only humans who will miss that are those who are in Christ. Those who are abiding in the vine. That's what we're being saved from. We're not being saved from Satan. He's being tossed in there too. Hell was created for Satan and his minions. But us, as the church, we are called to remain in Christ, to be his disciples, to remain faithful. Don't take my word for this. You wrestle with the Scriptures for yourself. Because remember, there was, what, some three million men fighting men when they left uh, Egypt. And how many of those three million fighting men made it into the promised land? Two. 
They were delivered out of Egypt, freed. They were saved from Egypt. They were baptized through the Red Sea. But how many of them actually made it in to Joshua, Yeshua, and Caleb, the dog? That's what Caleb's name means, just so you know. And I don't have a clock up here, so just so you know, I'm just rattling off, buddy. Oh, come on, man. You can't just tell me of that now. <laughs> All right. I got a couple of verses, points, and I'm done for the day. Jesus' mission was to suffer for and save anyone who pistuo, which is the Greek word, I believe. This is a controversial word because most people say you're saved by faith. But the Hebrew word and the Greek word for faith doesn't mean what the English word for faith means. The problem is that's why I say trust. Because when you say trust, that means there's a relationship there. When Jesus Christ speaks, are you obeying what he says? And if you say yes, that's because you trusted what he says. That is more inclined to the biblical word of faith. The question is, are you trusting Jesus? It's one thing to say, man, uh, this is the best analogy. There was a, there was a man at Niagara Falls, and there was a, there was a big, like, tightrope across the entire Niagara Falls. Everybody here remember this? John Maxwell analogy, right? And in it, this guy was out there saying, who thinks I could get on this wheelbarrow and drive over this tightrope across Niagara Falls and back. And like everybody raised their hand. Yeah, faith, I could do that. He jumped on the tightrope and just got on the, and just went all the way back. Everybody, like, whoa, that's awesome. Give him my money. Now here, who here trusts me that I could do it with you in the wheelbarrow? And people start to say, uh-huh, what happened was, <laughs> Give my money back. <laughs> but th that's biblical faith. Biblical faith is do you trust God? That's why his word is so important. That's why we say read his Bible. We have people who claim in their, they're Christians, but they're not doing anything Jesus says. That's why that scripture says, in that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, know, did, did we know all the great things in your name? He said, I never knew you. Why? Because he said, you didn't do my will. And you don't know God's will unless you pick up his Bible. Understand that God loved humanity so much that he allowed his son to be tortured and punished so that humanity had the opportunity to be saved if they trusted him. We have an opportunity to be saved. There are some people who won't have this opportunity like we will. Why? Because now we have phones that have the Bible on it. We have DVDs that have the Bible on it. We have streaming Bible people right now online watching this sermon live. And they're hearing me like, oh, I don't, I don't like that, Pastor. Let me go to somebody else. We have options. There are people on this planet who don't have options. They don't have a Bible. See, you have to understand, these people rejected Jesus. They had an opportunity to yield to him, and they didn't. And therefore, because of their rejection of him, they are condemned. But those people who believe what he says, you're saved. If you remain faithful until the end. Entrust yourself to him completely. This is serious. If you had a, a life-threatening disease, and I said the only antidote to that poison is in St. Paul, you would do everything you had to do to get that antidote. This is what's at stake. Eternity. Can I say something about 
So for us, this week, my wife had a miscarriage this week, and then my grandmother passed away this week. And so for us, we're like, oh, like, this is tough. And we're like, we're coping, we're grieving, but we're still pushing forward, trusting God. Because I believe I'll see my baby and my grandmother in heaven. They're there. I'm here. I'm the one in trouble. <laughs> They're all good. Like my grandmother was with the Lord. I'm trying to get to where they are. Entrust yourself to him completely, confidently, and with total commitment. Give it all to him. Why? So you would not be condemned with the rest of the world. Push. This has to cost us something. Like Jesus didn't die just so that we could have a good life. Because there are people in other countries, regardless of how hard they try, how much faith they have, they'll never have a good life. Never. Is what I'm asking too hard, too complicated? No. You have to wrestle with, is what I'm talking about the truth? That's what I ask. If you disagree with me, go to the scriptures and prove me wrong. I, I, that's, that is your right, and I would, I'd rather I'm wrong. I'd rather be I'm wrong. I, I want to be wrong. I want it to be like, oh, I believe in Jesus, so I don't have to do anything else. As long as I just trust him or just have faith that he exists, even though the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. Jesus gave it all so that you could trust him completely. God wants you to trust him. That's what this whole life is about. Everything in this world is designed to get you to doubt God. That was the original sin. Eve said, in a sense, in her mind somewhere, oh, God's holding back. He's untrustworthy. I need to do it myself. He's holding back. That's what Satan has been saying from the beginning. Man, if you follow God completely, you're not going to be happy. You're going to have to make sacrifice. You have to give up your, your comfort, your personal peace. And God's trying to say, no. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's just not a little thing. He suffered and died. That was horrendous and terrible. And that just wasn't a, okay, God's good with it. Like, he suffered through that entire ordeal so that you could have an opportunity to live forever. If you believe that, live like that's true. Remember, Jesus suffered greatly so that you could live greatly. I believe if God is inside of you, there is almost nothing that you cannot accomplish. I, I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher per se, but I'll tell you this, since I've been following Jesus, my entire life has been better. I can stay faithful to my wife. I can go to work and show up on time. I can get a good job and people not worry about me stealing something or trying to talk to somebody. People don't have to, when they're, when they're walking down the street, people don't have to go on the other side of the street because they're afraid I'm going to hurt them or steal something from them. Like, I can live in such a way that God has been constantly blessing me. I have more today than I did 20 years ago. But that's not the point. 
I've suffered through this time. I've lost life. I've lost family members. I've been disappointed. I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back. But, but like it says, oh, this is so good. In John chapter 6, verse 666, 667, 668, and then 669. After everybody walked away, Jesus looked back at the disciples. You know what he said to them? Will you leave as well? He asked his disciples, are you going to leave too? And then Peter, who gets it wrong all the time, says the best statement, particularly for us. Where else are we going to go? You're the only one who has the answer for eternal life. This life does not end at the grave. If you think that that's a trick, we are all dying. It's okay. We're all going to live forever. The question is, where will you live? Where is your residence for eternity? I'm doing my best to honor God every day of my life. I have a fear of the Lord. I honor what he says. Do I get it right all the time? No, I blow it. I have to forgive myself half the time, and then if my wife forgives me and I ask the Lord, I'm messing up daily. But I get back up, and I keep moving forward. God has brought healing to my family, healing to my friends. He's blessed us, but he's done it substantively, not comprehensively. We don't get it all here on earth. We get it all in heaven so we can't lose it. Push. Go back to the motivational speaker. Be absolutely committed to Jesus. Burn the boats. Live passionately for him. And if you've never been passionate about anything, be passionate about him. Let your light shine so everybody will know there is a reason to hope. If you live like that, I guarantee you, you will never regret it. It may be hard. It may be uncomfortable. But in the end, it's worth it. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. And just strength becomes all